listening to the PR Wind Down Podcast, the show for public relations professionals who are ready to see real change in the PR industry. We are your hosts, April White and Laura Schooler. Let's get ready to wind down. So, Laura, today we want to talk about what not to do from PR pros who know. And this one is appearance-related. Yes. The do not is do not wear hoodies to client meetings or Zoom calls. You're not Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree that unless you are Mark Zuckerberg, you probably shouldn't be dressing like Mark Zuckerberg in client meetings or even when you go into an office to work if that ever happens again, if and when you do that. You know, Steve Jobs wore the mock black turtleneck and, you know, Nikes or whatever because he was Steve Jobs. You can dress like that, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, whatever, wears leather pants. What, if, you're, if you're that guy or if you do that job, then you can dress that way. If you're, you know, Joe Schmo, who just graduated college 18 months ago, ease up unless you happen to be in one of those very sort of, you know, free and loose industries. But most people are trying at that age to get their foot in the door, to have a real job, to get some real experience, to put something real on their resume. And then you can go be a maniac when you're older. You know, what present my parents bought me for when after I graduated college, not like a trip to Europe, not a new car, not, you know, some, they bought me a suit to go get a job. (laughs) So practical. And oh, of course. And it was not only, a, it was a Jones, New York getup. It was a black skirt that came below the knee. So it wasn't, you know, suggestive. It was demure. And it wasn't tight at all. It was like I was a third grade teacher or something. <laughs> um, a cream colored silk button down blouse and this round neck suit jacket, but it was sort of tunicky, which was the nineties. What do you want? And I would, and I had a little, and I like had a like little bob and I would go, you know, to my job interviews and whatever. And oh my God, it was so not me. But even though it was hideous and I didn't like it and whatever, I wore it and it at least conveyed that I was serious about working and that I was going to be a reasonable human being and not some like, you know, kid who was just going to screw around. So it helped. And I believe probably still in industries like maybe, you know, if you're in a law firm or an accounting firm or in banking or something, you probably still have to dress. Well, maybe not exactly like that, but whatever today's version of Jones, New York, it's probably not Ann Taylor anymore. What is it now? I don't know. At least now, so many designers have really figured out how to dress women up so they still look and feel like women while they look like professional people. So it's so much easier as a woman to look and feel good as a a, a real strict professional than it used to be wearing Jones, New York. (laughs) Yes. No, and if you were to wear a suit on a Zoom call, you would look like an insane person. Right, right. But if you have a nice top with like a nice necklace or whatever. But but then for for guys, like granted, like you're not going to be wearing a blue pinstripe suit, you know, with a red tie or whatever, like you're not going to Donald Trump out in most industries today, except for the ones that I mentioned before, professional services, you might be, especially if you're in the, on the East coast or whatever, but don't wear a hoodie, like wear a button down shirt, wear a collared shirt, wear nice pants, wear a nice, don't wear sneakers and jeans, like so many guys do it. You get comfortable. And then you're like, you know, you're laying there and you're like, well, it, it does make an impact on, on how people perceive you and how you perform. 
And when you're in your 20s, you kind of got to bite the bullet if you're serious about a professional job. Well, I will tell you, when the pandemic started, I realized I needed to buy a new Zoom wardrobe because previously I was only on select Zoom calls and nobody would know if I wore you know, one of my five shirts that I cycled out because nobody would notice that I wore that same blue top five days ago. But suddenly I was on Zoom calls all day long every day. Because the other thing is there are some things that will look nice in, in a corporate situation or in an office situation that are reliant on the full outfit, right. but the top itself doesn't look professional. It was more right. about- This is like a plain, like sleeveless thing. It's like, eh, really? But if they saw that with the skirt and the shoes and whatever, it would- Yeah, not- then it would look amazing. But if you don't, if you're only right. seeing the top half or even yeah. just the shoulders- Interesting. Then you have to be really careful. And the other thing is in an office situation, wearing something that's sleeveless looks appropriate. On Zoom, not so much. Yeah. Because that's all you're seeing. You're like, oh, that's somebody's half naked almost. Right, like, roll out of bed. Right. Right. So it just looks a little bit weird. And well, then the same thing if you're wearing, if you're a guy and you're wearing like a hooded sweatshirt on a Zoom, it's like, what did you like throw that on two minutes before you got on the, do you even have a shirt right. on? <laughs> right. Right. And I think the other piece of it is it's become super weird that your background now is also like a reflection of your professionality. Yeah. I was doing Zoom calls and new business calls in a different, I had my desk set up somewhere that it wasn't really, the background wasn't ideal, but it was great for, it was ideal otherwise. And, and then I started, um, and I could do a virtual background, but I sometimes feel like people wonder what you're hiding. Right. That's and I feel, I feel a little bit too old for that. I feel like you can pull that off when you're in your twenties, but then past that, it starts to look a little bit like, we expect you to have a grown-up background. You know what I mean? Like something. Yeah, maybe I should move the paper napkins. <laughs> I mean, I would for a new biz call, right? I wouldn't like leave that there. I think but for an I, internal I, call, I, who cares? But would I put in its place a skull? No. no. Try again. What else you got? Would I put in its place? You ready? Yeah. Another skull? Ah. <laughs> no. Don't do that either. I just might move the uh, the napkins. No, and I know you're in a Manhattan apartment. I mean, right. what, are you, what are you gonna do, right? I mean, I have a different situation. So now, literally, if you were in my house, this is embarrassing, but it looks like a stage. I have stage lighting up on the rafters and it sounds so, it sounds so vain, but when I don't do it, I look so unprofessional. Right, I mean, a lot of people uh, early on, early coronavirus days were looking like they were in some like, hidden bunker, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You gotta have, you gotta have something going on behind you. You can't just have a blank white wall or it's like, oh God, what are you sitting in like the hallway? Now the, the nice thing about the wardrobe is that you really only have to buy nice blouses that look nice on the neckline. You could totally wear, yeah, yoga pants, sweatpants, jeans, it doesn't matter, pajama pants, as right. long as your top looks professional. Just wear pants. Do but, wear pants. So l- lest you have a tube-in scenario. Right. <laughs> but anyway so so that's the yeah unless you're mark zuckerberg don't dress like mark zuckerberg i like it okay hey laura do you want to read our horror story of the week i would love to let's do it we ready yep let's do it it was my first job at an, at an international pr agency and i was over the moon i had arrived maybe this person had worn a jones new york suit to get the job <laughs> 
With that agency's brand name cachet behind me and a shiny client roster that read as a who's who of the Fortune 100, I felt invincible, unstoppable, on top of the world. Sure, <laughs> my bosses were unkind, to put it nicely, and had wildly unrealistic expectations, but I was happy. I was alive. I was ready for anything. Well, this person definitely had a Jones New York uh, suit on. <laughs> it's not weird. Uh-oh. The bosses were very into pain pills and sake bombs. <laughs> I learned in time, and I started hearing rumors, that they were cha charging hundreds of dollars to our clients for lavish dinners with reporters, with quote reporters, involving much too much alcohol. I was never clear on who actually went to these events or which reporters had attended, if any. Then one day I got invited to a party. It was not what I expected. I hope it wasn't like Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> Let's find out. It was going to be at a house in the Hamptons over the weekend. For Everybody knows what the Hamptons is, right? The bosses had hired little people dressed up as Hillary Clinton Strip tease for the group. Oh God, wait, what? Wait, my, this isn't my, my video hasn't frozen. I have frozen. <laughs> what year was this? Oh my God. That's what little, they hired little people to strip tease. But they were dressed up as Hillary Clinton on top of it. <laughs> Maybe they had little, they probably had little Jones New York pantsuits on. We were all going to get there via private cars from our homes and all of the party expenses were going to be billed to our clients. Could you imagine billing anything to the client in this day and age? I can't even imagine. What? That's what it says in the letter. As a naive young girl from another part of the country where this scenario would not even have been imaginable in my weirdest of dreams, <laughs> I was beyond shocked. If I went, I'd be implicated. If I didn't, they would make my life hell. What did I do? You ask. Oh, what did I, what did, what did, what did this person do? You might ask the person listening. I did what any naive young girl with a moral fabric and tact would do. I told HR. <laughs> wow. Although I was allegedly protected by HR. Well, we know what I say about HR, but we anyway. Do, we do. Although I was allegedly protected by HR, this resulted in me being called the C word, which is the worst thing if you don't live it, unless you listen, it, it live in England, because then it's sort of okay. Right, then it's normal, but it's not normal in the US. No, or, or probably anywhere else. Getting moved into a new group and eventually having my desk hidden on another floor of this multi-story building where only employees from another company owned by the same parent company were housed. <laughs> like the dude in office space getting moved to the basement with his red stapler. Oh my God. It also resulted in me leaving the company prematurely and voluntarily, a decision I regret to this day, as I can probably never return to what may be the world's biggest and best PR firm. Holy shit. What's the biggest PR firm in the world? Um, you know, Let's see. It must be one of them owned by uh, 
you know, WPP or something, because Edelman's the biggest privately held, but there's bigger PR firms, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Burson, Kona, Wolf, Ogilvy, Hill, Knowlton. Oh, oh my God. If, I feel like if this happened now, those people would get fired, not not the other way or not the person I mean, how do we know it wasn't recent? Just because of context, there's no way? I mean, it could have been if they were dressed up like Hillary Clinton. I guess it could have been like four years ago. I just don't think anybody would bother to have done it after she lost the presidential election. So I think no, it, no, no. it would have had to have been before the election. Right. Yeah, so I yeah. think it's as old as 92 and as new as 2016. What do you think of that, Laura? I mean, well, first of all, the whole HR thing, like, don't go to HR. <laughs> <laughs> we've covered this so wait i wonder if the, so uh, did the person go to the party did the person go to the party and then complain to hr go back to that part because how would they know that hillary clinton there was little mini hillary clinton stripping okay here we go so if i went i'd be implicated if i didn't they'd make my life hell what did you do went to hr so my guess is that they did not go to the party yeah yeah so i think the person who did that i mean you know, kudos to them. I don't think I would have done it. I would have gone. And, <laughs> you and wouldn't suffered. have been a whistleblower. You would have just gone. So that's the problem. That's why I think it's a little bit older. Because if it was newer and they said, "Hey, they did this totally inappropriate thing against you know little people. It was horrible." Um, I think their heads would have rolled, and I don't think that that the people around them could have gotten away with you know demoting them and treating them like crap the way they did. I. Can't right, because how did those bosses stay there long right. enough to call the person the C-word? And that too, if you got called that at work now, I feel like that's a fireable offense. 100%. Yeah, so I, that's why I think it's- No, um, that, that's a good point. Yeah, that makes it sound old. You know, old, five years probably, but I do, I do think so. And um, that wouldn't have happened to the person now. And whoever the person was, I want to say, don't feel bad about not being at that company. Not because of what happened to you, but because there's so many things in life that happen and you have no idea if you had stayed there, what would have went down. You just don't know. There's all these alternative realities and you open door one, two, three, 57. You just right. don't know. And you can't have regrets about that stuff. Because the good things that have happened to you point. since you wouldn't have had happen if you had stayed, you know, and who knows if some ho more horrible, bad thing, maybe you would have got walked out the door one day, gotten run over by a bus if you stayed there. You don't know. Right. Well, do we have any other tips for this person or others listening that might be in a God forbid similar situation? It's hard to imagine. I mean, I think that in this scenario, what happened there with the striptease thing and being called the C word, I think those are two reasons why you can and should maybe go to HR, definitely go to senior leadership except it sounds to me like senior leadership was probably involved in at least half of what happened here. So if that's the case, I do think you have a case to go to yeah. HR, especially if it's one of the world's biggest PR firms, they are likely to be owned by a publicly traded entity. And that makes it, they really don't want to bring any heat on themselves for stuff like this. Cause right. I think the, the, what happened there could be potentially legally construed um, harassment in some regard and they don't want it. Might be another case to go to, to an attorney and seek yeah. counsel yeah. and find out what your rights are. Cause there might've been 
I mean, this person probably ended up leaving and signing something and not getting nothing for it. You know, there could have been at least some sort of recompense or, well, I guess, I mean, it. unless, unless the comeuppance were for this, for the bosses where it was enough of a motivation, but it doesn't sound like that happened. No. At least not, not immediately. So that it must've been quite disappointing to go ahead and put your neck on the line and then have it stepped on and nobody else gets any, any sort of hand slap. I right. mean, maybe they got a hand slap, but. Right, nobody else got in trouble. That's a good point too. As far as we know, nobody else got in any trouble really. <laughs> That's like crazy. I mean, you know, blame the victim kind of stuff. And she's basically, or he, uh, a whistleblower, right? And I think there's rules or laws about that. Right? Yeah. So you could, you could consult with a lawyer and I feel like, I've said it before, if a lawyer thinks that you have a case, they'll take it on contingency so you don't have to put money out. I also think it speaks to the fact that, you know, sticking to your ethics and your integrity is always the best thing to do. So even if it means that the outcome isn't one that you want, following your ethics and sense, you know, being, having integrity in and of yourself and sticking to it is always the right path, whether or not the outcome is ideal. I don't think taking a moral high ground is a great idea because then you're just judging people. But if at least you're being true to yourself, then nobody can ever come back and say, hey, remember that thing that you did? Because that's the kind of thing you would never live down even if you had this, well, I was a whistleblower. Well, you can't say that for a whistleblower because you're legally bound and not disclose details. Right. So. Yeah, no, I think that you're right. You got to be your authentic self in any situation in life. Yeah, I agreed. The way that it shapes up may not be exactly what you have in your head, but at least you know that you're with people that share your values and are going to value you as a result, right? So it's always better. There's always somebody that's going to do that. There's always going to be somebody. It might just take some finding them. Right. It might take some time. You know, you might feel like the odd person out for a while, years. Yeah. But eventually like attracts like, so you're going to find each other. It gets better. It does. Yay. <laughs> no, it really does. I, th- I feel like that's the biggest pep talk we've ever given on this show. But It's like starting you know, a job or starting your career. You're just trying to like get a job and learn stuff and make money and figure out what the hell is going on. So mm-hmm. you're probably going to be confronted with a lot of stuff that isn't you, that it doesn't fulfill you, that makes you uncomfortable, that you don't fit in, in but just, just keep moving and you'll find stuff that does. Right. Agreed. Hey, so it looks like our guest, Aaron, is uh, arriving on the scene. All right. Let's let him in. Today, we're joined by Aaron Wolpoff. He's the CEO and founder of Double Zebra Agency. And Aaron, I roughly understand what your agency does, but I think I would do a poor job in trying to recount it. So can you quickly, for our listeners, give the, the sort of the Cliff Notes version of what the agency does? Yeah, so we do high high value and high visibility branded media and brand engagements. So that goes from pivotal foundational brand strategy if we're talking about positioning, but it's not typically startups. It's typically brands that are known and established and have proven themselves for quite a while. And it's about relevance, reinvention, and just you know staying top of mind in, a, in an increasingly crowded, crowded landscape. So what does high visibility mean? High visibility means you take something that you think of as a traditional campaign and roll it out over six months and instead roll it out over two to three to four weeks and just turbocharge it. Is it mostly creative or strategy or both? It's both. It's creative strategy. It's knowing the audience, audience segmentation, 
and then being able to take take a look, you know, in real time ongoing, but also coming back at the end of it and saying, look, we got bigger numbers than prime time. Well, Aaron, the, the main thing I wanted to chat with you about and we'll see where it goes from there, but I know we had an interesting conversation starting when we spoke and I, I kind of cut it off saying, oh, this would be good for the podcast about how do you take, having left a big firm, I know you worked at some of the, the bigger brands before you started your own agency. So how do you how do you strike that balance of being professional in a way that everyone's familiar with without compromising the values of of the thing you're building? Yeah, I know we started getting into it and then we said, save it for air. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and you know, it's not it's not as much of a matter of dinging other other agencies or making them the enemy. I mean, the ones that have been around that managed to continue being relevant and reinventing themselves do it for a reason. Uh, there, there is stability, there's structure, I mean, as much as there can be in this industry, but they, they do a lot of things right. So I'm not knocking, uh, sometimes I do, but I'm not knocking the big, I'm not here to knock the big agency model or say what they're doing is completely wrong. I think some of it's wrong. I think some of it's not relevant. And I think, you know, bringing, bringing 30 people to a meeting and having them all the clock is not relevant either to the point where clients, you know, even on a, on a strategy engagement or a, what do we do from a campaign perspective, it's, it's all real time now or as close to real time as possible. So what used to be a six month strategy engagement, I mean, if we're, if we're in three weeks, then we're all kind of, you know, the client saying, what's, what are we doing? Right. So from a marketing marketer's perspective, that's all food, that's air. Like that's what we need to survive and, and do a good job and come back and say, we've, we've got the confidence behind this approach, but for a client, it's more when that first deliverable hits, then there's that sigh of relief, like, okay, we, we did something. And so I, I guess if you're an internal, I'll, I'll get to your, your question, but if you're an internal employee, you get time to do that. If you're a, a big agency, that's, Proven it again and again for huge, huge companies, you get some time to do that, but less and less. Um, but if you're a, a boutique, a midsize, a growing agency, you, you've got to prove it every time. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've learned is to bring the hustle I've learned from other agencies and from startups and from little ventures and life experience and you know grad school and everything else and just say, I'm going to form this the way that I want to see these relationships run and bring the talent to the table that I want. And I'm going to, I'm going to go faster than the traditional agency model set up to do. And and companies are responding to it. I mean, not us, but I think uh, Pizza Hut just went to more of a, like a smaller boutique agency and got rid of their AOR. Now everybody has to do it basically. Yeah. In my case, I felt like there were a lot of efficiencies that were not playing out in the bigger firms that they could. And there were, there were elements of the culture that I didn't personally want to perpetuate. So I wanted to create something new, but I've been finding that it's challenging to do that without adapting some of the things. You have to pick kind of pick and choose the things that need to come with you because obviously, you know, Laura and I are not necessarily corporate type people. And a lot of the people at Trust Relations are not, you know, I mean, we can fit in and we did the job and she worked at PwC for, forever but we know how to look the part despite appearances now <laughs> and, like, and play those roles and you know and fit in where we have to 
but I mean, there's a reason that some of those things are in place as well. So that's where it's been, it's been interesting. I've also been discovering that more and more bigger brands are deciding that they want to, you know, work with boutique agencies and, and find something that's both more cost effective and also where they're just, they really matter, right? Because a lot of times at those really big firms, it's, it's easy to get lost in the shuffle unless you are Coca-Cola or MasterCard or, you know, one of the, the biggest of the bigs. So it's about money. Who's paying yeah. the most money? Well, and it's, it was uh, Domino's. It wasn't Pizza Hut, but, but everyone's figuring their, their way around it now. I mean, even Coca-Cola, I, I believe is going all digital and they're dropping their, their big, you know, national media buys. Yeah. Have you discovered that since COVID things have accelerated for you as a, you know, more of a challenger agency? Um, I'm starting to, yeah, the past, past few months have seen that the beginning of the year was the same for everybody. I think, um, where it was just a fundamental reset and, you know, I wondered if marketing still relevant and if businesses are still businesses and, um, everyone froze and that's okay. That's a natural reaction to the, what happened. And there were people too early saying, well, no, you got to market and you got to get yourself out there. And there was some of that feeling like, yes, we have to preserve not only for ourselves, but for the sake of these brands that have, have been around for a long time and have built up what they, what they've built up. Um, you don't want to see that go away. And unfortunately mm -hmm. it is for a lot of brands, but marketing programs hit around the same time as black Friday, <laughs> coincidentally or not, or, you know, clients that have been waiting all year or com companies that have been thinking about it all year, all of a sudden mid November start to light a fire and say, well, wait a minute. What about Q1 next year? And people have spent the last, whatever it is, eight months or so training themselves into new habits. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, I'm probably not going to go to the grocery store as much because I have Instacart and it's great. You know, uh, online learning is, is reshaping the college experience maybe forever. So these categories that have come up during this time, they're, they're, I said that I said that from the beginning, the very beginning of this. I'm not going to go back to doing things, you know, um, the same way. I'm never going to touch a pole on the subway without, <laughs> without a napkin on my hand or whatever, you know. Sure, sure. Or yeah. video calls. Like I had done some, you know, and probably more than many people. But like all these corporations who really nobody had ever done them before. They're it's it's not going to go away now. I don't know how you've been able to adjust and accommodate. Yeah, I well, I started using Lunch Club to meet mm -hmm. people. So that was one of the things I did to get out there and network and have, you know, conversations with total strangers, which was an art form I was quickly, quickly losing. Right, you're not going to a party or a networking no. event or a restaurant. And I, yeah. I had just gotten so used to all of my conversations being about business. Okay, we've got 30 minutes. Here's the agenda. What do we need to cover? Who's doing what? Who's on first? And I think you sort of forget that people are people are people and you're just, you can have a conversation with somebody that's not, there's no agenda <laughs> behind it. And, wow, what a, what a concept. So that was one of the things I have to say, I've personally been enjoying that we don't have business travel. I'm hoping that after the pandemic, people will reevaluate how much they want to spend budget on people flying places and still opt to do Zoom calls wherever possible, unless it's a presentation to the CEO or, 
you know, something where it would really be advantageous. A big to conference if, they, if that ever happens again, right? Right. On the PR side, we're not really suffering in the same way. But I'm curious also how much of what you're doing is PRable. So are there these big campaigns that are high visibility? Do you ever work with a PR firm or when do you decide, okay, we need to, we need to call in somebody and, and leverage this on the PR side because it's stunt worthy or it's newsworthy or it's. Right. Well, and, and PR is becoming increasingly important in this, in this strategy. Um, and the, I, I call them blitz campaigns. So in the blitz campaigns that we do, because as we, you know, we all know a product is not a story and even an event itself is not a story, but when you mm -hmm. create something out of very little and you start to amplify it and you put budget behind it and you put the care of the audience behind it, you, you create something that's worth talking about. And you can point to numbers and say, look, like, look how many people enjoyed this experience. So PR is definitely, definitely part of what I consider a, a, a well-executed blitz campaign is how do we take what happened and what we created for the right audience who, you know, really cared about it and felt like they were valued and appreciated and tell mm -hmm. that story to, to other people who would be interested in knowing about it. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what questions you have for us, Aaron. Oh man, coming off the back of this year, what, mm -hmm. what kinds of PR opportunities and challenges are you seeing that are unique to, to this year? That's a good question. It's been insane. I've never seen it. I've never seen the news cycle so dominated by so many giant things for so long. And if you don't fit into one of those topics, forget it, right? Unless you're pitching trades, which the trade magazines aren't going to be, you know, if you've got B2B clients and you're pitching trades, no big deal. Some of the consumer outlets, no big deal. I mean, they're not going to be covering some of those things, but some of them are. It depends on what you're pitching, but it's been really challenging because suddenly all these, you know, clients that want their pet product in the news, it's like, well, how is that relevant to COVID? So you have to make it relate to COVID without looking smarmy, right? That was the only way for a very long time to even be relevant to the news. The yeah. Well, and there were times this past, especially this past year where big news there were big swings in what, what the news was talking about. And they were very important, very relevant. Like, I want to stay out of the way of this so that it can, right. be, you know, this can be the, the priority that everyone talks about. So yeah. how, do you, how do you handle those big swings? So, overnight, in some cases, it seems. In some cases, there were clients who actually, you know, could speak to the BLM movement and, and had very insightful things to say and were the right spokesperson, you know, spokespeople for those platforms, for those messages. And, and we were able to get them a lot of coverage in other cases. It was, yeah, it was a matter of, of just staying quiet and doing some bylined articles or things like that, where you're, you know, you can still keep the lights on without going out aggressively about something super newsworthy. And to that point, the other thing that's been really crazy is with all the furloughs and layoffs in the press, almost everything comes back to us now with a request for a byline. I mean, the number of actual reporters on staff who have capacity to write news yeah. is very low. And the other thing that's happening is they pick up the press release and post it. And that's the, that's the best they can do. It's been weird. It's been really weird. I don't know when that's going to stop, but at least we've, a, we've been able to adapt and a, 
adjust accordingly. I don't know if Laura wants to add to that. I'm sure she... Um, I also feel like there's some hard business news that got a lot of coverage. Like if it's a funding announcement or a partnership, particularly if, uh, you know, one of the companies at least is like publicly traded, there was still, you know, appetite for covering those kinds of things. But otherwise, if you were just trying to pitch, as April said, your company, your company spokesperson, it had to be somehow about some way about like coronavirus or, you know, Black Lives Matter issues. Or you could do research. This is another thing that worked as well, was having them do research that was relevant to those issues and their own brand. Sure. And then you have some news there. Again, for a pet client, we did, we did a survey asking about people's change in what they were spending based on COVID on their pet versus themselves, where they had they increased spending, had they decreased spending, that kind of thing. So those kinds of statistics are relevant to the press. And, and I think a good way to show that the brand is in line with the times, right? Erin, I'm curious, did you see the recent news about Burger King wanting you to order from McDonald's and making this a big play? No, I didn't see that one. I've seen some, they've done some really good stuff over the past year or so, but I haven't seen that one. So no, we were going to reserve this for Laura and I to talk about, but I'm actually thinking giving your expertise and branding, it would be really interesting to get your take on it too. So it says Burger King really wants you to order from McDonald's and no, it's not a joke. Burger King is known for its buzzworthy advertising, but even this is next level. In a tweet this morning, the company's UK account tweeted a request to customers to, quote, order from McDonald's, and it wasn't joking. The social media post is a very real plea on behalf of not just Burger King or McDonald's, but all restaurants. While you might wonder why a fast food restaurant would want to encourage its followers to frequent a competitor, I think this is actually brilliant. This is obviously not bad. What Burger King knows is that anything that gets people to go out and spend money at a restaurant is good for every restaurant. Right now, restaurants aren't even competing against each other. They're competing against people not spending money on anything. So I thought that was fascinating from a PR perspective. It's like brilliant, right? Like It's a good move because it's something McDonald's would never do. Right. That's, it's so inherent to Burger King's DNA. That's an interesting thing that you just said. And I, I mean, I guess it's probably not anything earth shattering or new, but the, when you're in the, the second position or maybe third or fourth, you can be way more like, you know, let your freak flag fly than yeah. if you're the New York Yankees and you can't, <laughs> you can't be funny. You can't, you know, and nothing, but you know, if you're the Mets, you can make jokes about at your own expense all day long, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the category growth for for, right. yeah, for McDonald's is good for Burger King. I, I see why they did it, and that's it's it's brilliant. I think so too, right? And it, and what do they really have to lose? Because if when I hear that, all I want to do is go actually eat at Burger King and not McDonald's. Right. <laughs> well, right. I mean, but what that if that bitch either, Wendy's but... comes in and steals everybody's market share? <laughs> yeah, uh, Wendy says, "Yeah, eat at, eat at McDonald's too." Yeah, we want in on that. Yeah, no, but so like funny. I'm saying, like, you can afford to do that if you're Burger King, right? You can't right. afford to do that if you're McDonald's. It doesn't make, it wouldn't even make sense to the brand. No, no, it would be lost yeah. on everybody. Yeah. But, um, but Burger King can pull that off and, and yeah. they'll do well because of it. Yeah, and they're, and they're known for doing things that are a lot edgier, right? I mean, that's, that's part of the brand. Yeah, and some of their, their overseas markets, too, will we'll pull some cool stuff. So that's interesting. That's, that was from their UK. I wonder, would they? Do you think they would try something like that here? 
know. Now I want to look and see. I don't know if we want to spend time on this, but <laughs> you asked. I told you, April, um, back in the beginning of this, that there was no fast food like near me where I grew up except for Burger King. That's right. And Burger King, I told you, my parents, for whatever reason, used to take us there after church. <laughs> <laughs> There's also, wow, I didn't know about this, Burger King and Ronald McDonald kiss in Finland Pride advert. That's awesome. Did you know about this? No. Did not. No. So they're obviously doing all kinds of funny things. I Now there's a, the, the advocate.com wrote, Burger King sucks face with Ronald McDonald, a new ad. <laughs> oh my God. It's not clear to me if this, if this applied in the U.S., it's also the joy of social media because you're you're not very unlikely to see something like that come out on a full scale, you know, net nationwide campaign or a pre-roll video. But you right. can throw it up on social and just say, "All right, we'll respond to it." Uh, that's that's a pretty bold move. Yeah, it's it's great, and it probably costs them nothing. Well, and I think Burger King's okay, but a lot of these fast food QSR restaurants have had to they've had a hard year. I mean, people yeah. completely dropped off. Um, they've had to spend what's ostensibly their marketing PR budget on you know, new POS systems that link uh, all the delivery services together so that you can have it on the, on the register mm -hmm. and then cut them into the equation. So there went the summer and now they have to rebuild and get audiences back. And that's, that's a nice way of starting it. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Although there are drive-throughs at these, most of these fast food places, right? So that's always good. You don't have to get out of your car and you never did. Yeah. Did we talk about this too, speaking of McDonald's and drive-thrus? There was until like m maybe not even a year ago, a drive-thru McDonald's in Manhattan. What? And they just shut it down like right before COVID. Oh yeah, no, it would have been, it would have done so well. I know. There's so many things like that that happened to, to businesses where they had super good timing or super bad timing, just like who knew, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that McDonald's was an example of probably a super bad time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there were some, some industry work for, for foot traffic was up for the first time last year. Uh, the trend was reversing and then all of a sudden, you know, this, this year yeah. hit and it didn't happen. And, yeah. and like we were saying earlier, people are training themselves to not shop there anymore and to make their purchases at home. Yep. So it's, a, it's a wild world. It, it, it is indeed. So circling back to the beginning, Aaron, do you have any advice for other you know, agency owners that are f trying to follow in the footsteps of people like us who are creating virtual agencies and want to do it differently, but still have it be a professional shop? Are there things you've learned that you could share as takeaways? Yeah, I, well, I've learned it's, it's okay to not be a one-stop one shop. It's okay to know what you do, to be able to expand out from there, work with other talented people, and to know where your edges are defined. And I think when, you know, the first, first few years of business, there's a tendency to take it all and say, yes, we'll figure it out. And once you train yourself out of that, things start to fall into place a lot faster and you see it and clients see it and everything's a lot better to find. And the results are there as a result. Yeah. As an effect. I would say get, get, get locked into what you, you enjoy, what you're good at and where you want to spend your day. And uh, once you start putting, putting definition on that and putting it out into the world, then people start respond, responding. Mm -hmm. And what about what about when you catch yourself doing things that you wish you hadn't replicated? Are there do you have any tips for either how to catch yourself or how to correct course at that point? Once you're in business for yourself for for a good few years, you, you kind of learn 
yourself and your and how you work and and all those things. I recommend it to anybody who, who, who wants to do it. Just like knowing what you enjoy, knowing knowing what stresses you out and how to get around that, because that that can stop you in your tracks. So having you know whatever your your, your stress relievers are, your or your other team people that you bring in to do the things that you don't want to do. Um, not that you can't or aren't good at them or don't have value, but the minute you find yourself putting something off, um, it's time to bring someone else in because that just means that there's someone else is going to do it better. Right. That's really good advice. I have one last question for you, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> you coordinate your shirt with your hat with your art, or do you coordinate your art with your hat with your shirt? <laughs> I try to I try to throw as many patterns in as I can. It's so. like all the. <laughs> it's like the most coordinated uh is it it's not yeah, too flashy and then it's, <laughs> it's evoking it's so great i don't know well i had these uh, april but, knew i was about to ask something crazy she started laughing before i asked <laughs> she uh, had that look in her eyes like it just tell. well I, I had nothing on my wall and then i had these sad little paintings from amazon that i didn't like seeing over my shoulder so uh, props to James. I met I met a local artist who does really cool stuff. And oh yeah, it's it's great. It's really great. And put it back there. It's so. really great. And I like to peek into people's lives this way. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it, it is fun. <laughs> but I but I do I do have a normal last question for Aaron. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to plug? Any uh, projects? Anything you want people to know if they're listening? Go to doublezebra.com. Perfect. Check us out. And next year is going to be big. So. Come back and be a part of it. Very All right. good. All right. Thank well, you. It's been super fun. Thanks for joining us, Aaron. Yeah. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, April. Stay in touch. All right. Okay. Bye. Thanks. Bye. So I want to thank everyone for joining us for the PR Wind Down podcast. And many thanks to our guest, Aaron. That was really fun. For joining us today. We had a great time with him. We did. And remember, you can submit your own agency horror stories and questions and if you like what we're doing please like rate and share our show with your friends and colleagues also i want to mention that for thanksgiving we're going to be doing pr stories of where we're grateful and thankful for something that's happened in our careers so please don't just share your horror stories if you've got something where you've had an amazing mentor that helped you or you've had some kind of wonderful experience where it was the opposite of a horror story and, and you got to feel some of these good vibes that Laura and I were giving off at the end of the show. We'd love to change things up. That's great. So we cannot wait to wind down with you again next week. <laughs> All right. See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.